Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, a podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And once again, I'm just tickled slap to death to have a real live uh, smart human on the uh, podcast with us today, somebody who has uh, very much been involved in the hemp industry and um, takes all this very seriously and very uh, deliberately. Uh, and what the, what the industry can be. So, Eric Singular, welcome. So glad that you're here and glad that you're with us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me, Nick, and really appreciate the uh, opportunity to share some of the uh, the things that I've been doing and uh, what it seems like the industry has been up to here love in it. 2022. Love it, love it. So, Eric gets to wear a couple of hats. You know, a guy like Eric, he needs to be spread around so more people can, can have an opportunity to touch the hem of your garment. So uh, he uh, works with uh, New Frontier Data uh, as well as International Hemp. So two organizations that, that um, have a lot of respect in our book. And um, uh, we're glad that you're able to work with both of those groups. So tell us, let's start off by you kind of giving us a little bit of the uh, Eric backstory and then weave into that your hemp aha moment. And then let's talk about what's going on with international hemp. And let's talk about also about the things that New Frontier Data uh, is involved in. Does that sound cool? That sounds great. Happy to do so. Uh, so Nick, I, I graduated from college in uh, 2015 and uh during my uh, uh, University of Colorado in, in uh, Boulder. Okay. And uh, during that time, I worked for uh, the university's environmental center. I worked in an intermediate processing facility where um, all the recycled materials uh, from the, the many, many buildings on campus uh, ran through before going to Boulder Waste Management. And it was uh, me and a, a lot of other students um, who were, were really there on the front lines, you know, really, you know, just to put it bluntly, you know, sorting through trash, but sorting, uh, sorting these recycled materials into different grades. And uh, it was a, a great time, just wonderful people, you know, excellent program at that university, part of a bigger program that was, you know, all about encouraging environmentalism and, and green thinking on campus. And, you know, I think my aha moment for hemp, you know, it, it happened a little bit there and it was really more of a sustainability aha moment just seeing you know a small slice of the the kind of trash that we're generating as a society um and wanting to you know make a difference in working with more renewable materials and of course you know this was i was graduating and i was having this experience at the same time that the 2014 farm bill was being talked about and being in colorado you know, the 2014 Farm Bill coming two years after the legalization of marijuana, there was starting to be, you know, you, you could just not help but feel the momentum that was growing around cannabis. And, you know, while I uh, don't you know, disregard any parts of the cannabis plant, the part that I was really thinking about was industrial hemp. Uh, what can we do with the fiber and grain from this plant? And those were early days when I graduated from college. I wanted to get into the industry. I talked to some to some folks who I knew in the cannabis space at that time, and they said, you know, you're too early, uh, go and learn a little bit about life. And if you come back in a couple of years, we'll have something, uh, something for you. This will have grown up a little bit. And so I, I really entered into the industry in 2018. 
Um, and in the last four years, um, by virtue of International Hemp and, and other companies, I've been in the industrial hemp seed and genetics space. Um, and it's been an excellent experience. Part of the reason I like being in that seed and genetic space is that in an industry like this, you can't be siloed. So being in seed and genetics, we are intimately involved with farming, processing, and manufacturing and really trying to grow this market. Because uh, if we were just trying to sell seed, we wouldn't be very successful. We have to help the whole industry grow. And I was lucky enough about a year ago um, to be offered a uh, uh, adjacent position at New Frontier Data to uh, serve as senior hemp analyst. Um, being in the industry for a couple of years, um, trying to be at the front lines of, of growing this market and understanding what the uh, choke points were in this marketplace and what the opportunities were in this marketplace. They brought me in and, and uh, you know, I've been really, really happy to spend a little bit of my time getting to report on, um, you know, the, the numbers that are driving the story that is unfolding as this industry slowly, slowly matures, slowly, but surely, Nick, it is, it is maturing. It is maturing. It is going forward. It's, uh, you know, sometimes I don't know that it's so much many steps back as it may be not moving at the pace we all would like it to go sometimes. Um, but, and, and there may be some side steps. Uh, or some, you know, maybe even some pauses along the way, but I just don't see it backing up. Unless you do. Right? No, I, I don't, you know, I think this year has been, uh, it's been a really interesting year. Bless you, Nick. Um, I'm uh, Nobody <laughs> knew that for you. Keep talking. <laughs> I, you know, my, my, uh, my feeling is that 2022, it's been a it's been a difficult year, you know, for hemp and outside of hemp. But really, I think what it's shown us is the timeline for the development of this industry may be a little bit longer than we had initially hoped. Um, and you know, this is really the way I like to think about it is if you look back to 2018, uh, when the the last farm bill was passed and mm -hmm. hemp was officially. Uh, legalized and they began to, to formalize a regulatory scheme for it at USDA, uh, ag commodity prices were almost the lowest that they had ever been. You know, corn, wheat, and soy were, were nearing all-time lows. Uh, so farmers were itching for alternative crops. You know, they were looking for new ways to generate farm revenue. And, you know, that unfortunately coincided with some wild uh, amounts of money that people were making in CBD and it drove everybody into wanting to grow CBD in 2019. If you just flash forward from 2018 to 2022, you know, by virtue of the pandemic, by virtue of the uh, military aggression in Ukraine, that has completely turned on its head. I mean, we saw this spring ag commodity prices skyrocket in a way that I don't think anybody was was really anticipating or prepared for. And, you know, that made it a lot harder to convince folks to to add hemp into their crop rotation this year. So, you know, we're not moving backward. If anything, we're getting to a point where we have to be a lot more convincing that folks should grow this crop because it, it isn't those days where people were looking for an alternative. Now, you know, the there's going to be, at least for a little bit of time, 
there's going to be a lot of reasons to stick with those the staple crops so we have to get better at speaking to the why why yeah. add to your crop yes. rotation and there is so much behind that why but i think it's incumbent upon us as industry stakeholders to really make sure that one when we're speaking, we're speaking with data and we're speaking with uh, agronomic information behind us. And we need to be unified in, in how we're uh, making that approach to, to the agricultural community. Because uh, we, we, we need to all be on the same page with how we're talking about hemp and how we are telling this story to the, to the folks out there who have not yet adopted. Absolutely. You know, part of what we do too, whatever, we really kind of shut it down to three different types of uh, growing groups that we that we speak with, and that's why we call ourselves the Growers Cooperative, and not a Farmers Cooperative, right? Because the barriers to entry for somebody who is a newbie, newbie that's never planted anything, are relatively low as compared to like if I decided I was going to get into soybeans or you know something like that. So, um, so we got the newbies that have never grown anything. We've got uh, the underserved farmers as USDA defines them. But then we also have kind of what I think you're referring to, the production agriculture, multiple thousands of acres, very often multi-generational, you know, farming groups. And they all have different interests and, and have different things that matter to them. I mean, and and but but if we don't have the latter group, who are in the production ag group that we'll never get to the biomass that we need to be able to accomplish the stuff we want to accomplish with. So it's an it's an interesting piece to help folks understand well what is that market? What do I need? And maybe it's just pure educational, simple things like no hempcrete is not anything you're pouring into the ground. Okay. I mean, you know, just things that, that those of us that are in the industry talk to ourselves a great deal about that we that we get. Uh, we we continually kind of, and I think I'm helping to make the point, is that we have to remind ourselves that our language that we speak every day, no matter when you kind of got into this crazy thing called the, the hemp space, the rest of the world doesn't speak that language. And we have to kind of continually remind them and show them the value of all these other things of what the marketplace is, right? Um, so anyway, I, that that wasn't a question as much as a statement, but uh, um, I hope you, you, you see it along that same line too. You think we're on the same page about that? I do. And I, and I think that, you know, where we're for, for a number of years, especially in the industrial hemp conversation, we were able to point the finger at processing and say, that's the bottleneck. Once we get more processing, everything will solve itself and we'll be, we'll, you know, we'll be able to, uh, this crop will, you know, fi find an easy, easy pathway into adoption. Now sitting here today, I think that we've seen a number of regional processors uh, come online. You know, sure. one that really, uh, you know, you can't, you can't make that statement without thinking about is IND hemp. And I know you were just up in Montana for the uh, hemp annual hemp summit up there. But now that we have the ability to process hemp at large scale for grain and fiber, now I think we need to start turning our attention to uh, market development. Um, because I think that, you know, where we're gonna have to make up some ground so that we really can start to see that acreage number growing year over year is ensuring that there is, you know, a booming and bustling marketplace for hemp products. 
I mean, I look at the plant-based food marketplace and I, I can't help but think that hemp has a huge role to play um, in that because of the incredible nutritional profile that, that hemp offers. I mean, it is sure. among the most nutritional plant-based options out there. And I look at, you know, this world that is quickly coming at us where people are hyper aware of the carbon footprint of the products that they consume. And I can't help but think that the, you know, cellulose, lignin, and fibers that are uh, in the hemp plant aren't going to be a major uh, material moving forward that helps start to lower the carbon footprint of many of the things that we take for granted for on a daily basis. But just because we believe those things and just because there is utility in those ingredients and materials doesn't necessarily mean that you know, just now that we have processing, we're going to be seeing acreage grow from 50,000 to 500,000 to 5 million in the next couple of years. We need to do that work and we need to get out there and help uh, tell that story so that we can see the adoption of innovation start to happen around hemp. Absolutely. And so that is a large part of what you do for New Frontier Data is track that and watch that and write about that and and give updates on that as we start to see those market-based factors coming into play and, and what they look like. So we want to make sure people have an opportunity to, um, uh, to connect and follow what you do at New Frontier. So let's pause there a second and give and, and plug the website uh, where folks can find that good information. I know I read it every time it comes out, but um, uh, we want more people to be able to read and follow that too. What's the best website for them to find that info? Of course, newfrontierdata.com. Uh, uh, you can find all of the articles that I've published on the blogs uh, section of that under the Hemp Business Journal. Um, so I'm, I'm one amongst many you know, really, really smart folks on that team. I'm, I'm definitely the dumbest one on the team, uh, but you know, Amongst the other uh, articles that that uh, and reports that are being written by the New Frontier team, uh, you can find the hemp-specific content really tracking the the growth of primarily the grain and fiber industry uh, and sectors. A little bit on the cannabinoid sector, but uh, I think I I I really am interested in seeing you know those markets grow because ultimately I think those markets will be much, much higher volume markets than, uh, than the cannabinoid market. I'm sure the cannabinoid market will be lower volume, higher cost. But, you know, I think if we really want to see the impact of hemp, both the economic and environmental impact that we know this crop possesses, it's going to come, you know, in those high volumes and, and high scale adoption by large manufacturers, both in food and, you know, industrial automotive, what have you. Absolutely. And, you know, just, just, as an example, I was having this conversation with someone the other day who's very much involved in the cannabis industry. We were just talking about carbon sequestration, right? And because most of these cannabis grows, almost all of them, at least going forward, from what I can tell, are all indoor, right? So there's not a whole lot of external carbon that you're sopping up inside a greenhouse as compared to what you're doing with a, an acre of industrial hemp growing out there at the same time. So there are differences. Um, uh, certainly, uh, besides the things that we, we immediately might think of, like THC and, 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 and uses of it. But um, uh, I think that's why the market, uh, that's why I, I believe y'all are on the absolutely right track. Look, this, there's so many moving parts, right? So well, that's one of the things we said. The great thing about hemp is it will do so many things. And <clears throat> out of the same breath, 
one of the most frustrating things about hemp is it will do so many things, right? So how do we, you know, the, the different lanes for folks like us that want to be involved and are involved in so many of those lanes, um, uh, it's sometimes kind of like putting bullfrogs in a wheelbarrow, right? I'll put four in and six will jump back out, you know? And so it's, um, uh, uh, this is not a game for the, um, for the short-sighted or for the person or the group that wants to just get in and get out. And, and um, it's good to be a part of all that. It's a blessing and a curse, Nick. And, and it's funny because this just came up. Uh, I was traveling last week and uh, in Pennsylvania, we kind of had a uh, meeting of the minds, if you will, of industrial hemp and uh, Harold Singletary, who is just an uh, you know, absolute tour de force in, in all the things that he's doing in industrial hemp. He, uh, he was quick to point out that focus is such an important uh, quality that we all need to, to carry forward. Um, because with 25,000 uses, it's very easy to get uh, swept away in conversation with folks and, oh, maybe you're, you're, you're standing there talking to someone from Mars Wrigley and, you know, Mars Wrigley, we know what they're interested in. They want to know what the, you know, what the food ingredient side of this looks like, but you have so much passion you know, and the folks that are in the hemp industry that they might stay there, they might start start talking about carbon and fiber and hempcrete, and you can kind of start to see people's faces glaze over. So when you really start, you know, I think to bridge that gap um, with who could be some of the largest users and, and um, providers of purchase orders for this industry, being very, very focused and very targeted in the way that you're, you're talking and you're presenting information about this crop, it's very important because, you know, the more that you start to, to talk about it and it sounds like a silver bullet or it's just going to solve all of the world's problems, that's where you, you kind of start to see those folks who are in those more, you know, bigger companies, Fortune 500s, traditional business spaces, that's where I think they start to kind of tune you out and, and you start right. to lose a little bit of that, uh, you know, right. that, that audience. Right. The way the way I say it is, is we got to have more um, um, Main Street Rotary Club Presbyterian types in the industry because that's kind of some of the language that the larger purchase order people speak, mm-hmm. and 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 we we've got to make sure that we've got some of those voices all in the all in the mix on that. So anyway, um, so that's cool. Like New Frontier. So that's a great way to keep up and watch with what's going on in the market and, and be able to get their insights on part of that. Let's talk about international hemp. Um, certainly a, a top tier uh, genetics company uh, uh, operating here in the U.S. So tell us more about international and the things that you guys are involved in, um, uh, particularly as it relates to a lot of the genetics of the seed. Yeah. Of course. Well, you know, the, it's been such an interesting journey, uh, kind of being in the seed, uh, the seed and genetic space in hemp, because it's evolved so much and so quickly over the last couple of years, you know, the first thing, the way that the company really began and was conceptualized was to import, uh, certified seed that was recognized in Europe as being kind of uh, high-performing, high-yielding cultivars that were listed on the OECD seed schemes. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the first couple of years, that was, that was a, a great model until we started to realize, and the pandemic certainly helped with this, um, was that it was cost prohibitive to be importing seed uh, from, from overseas. And um, we have farmers in this country who, are really, really good at producing certified seeds. So, 
you know, a couple of years ago, we started to really make the transition to find partners here in this country who could produce uh, certified seed uh, with us. And that, that was, you know, kind of a talk about an aha moment. That was an aha moment for us. So we've really, um, over the last couple of years, we've transitioned to hundred uh, percent domestic seed production. Uh, we have some incredible farm partners uh, that we do that with in the Midwest. Um, and you know, what we've also learned over the years as hemp started to become legal to grow in all 50 states, because even after the 2018 farm bill, there was a lot of confusion with, you know, at the state level, you know, you didn't see hemp grown in South Dakota until 2020 because it took two years past the 2018 farm bill in order to get a state program uh, for, for production up and running. Right. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we learned is, Hey, not every variety works everywhere. So uh, what became very clear to us was, you know, we have two varieties that work very well in the Northern tier and in Canada. Um, but we need to very quickly begin working on varieties that work um, for say producers at, at farther Southern latitudes. And we were lucky enough to uh, form a partnership with a, uh, a Dutch group uh, by the name of Anecta. And we are in, in uh, uh, making great progress this year and bringing to market two Italian fiber varieties that we've worked with them. Uh, to uh, license and produce here in the United States. And then the other reason for uh, being up in New York and Pennsylvania last week was to meet with uh, the folks at Cornell University where we are, you know, moving the ball forward on uh, licensing some of the varieties that are coming out of their breeding program, which is, you know, a couple of years ago, Cornell got about a $500,000 grant from USDA to begin establishing the first uh, cannabis germplasm here in the United States. Um, kind of led by Dr. Larry Smart, who I think is, you know, one of the uh, prominent and leading voices in hemp research in this country. Um, sure. His team of, of uh, at the Integrated Plant Sciences College there at Cornell has begun finding and uh, markers for uh, hemp selection and started very, very quickly breeding new varieties of hemp. So, um, I think here in the next couple of years, you know, we will have domestically produced certified seed varieties that really work at, you know, all of the different um, zones, as we call them, production zones across the, you know, from, from the southern tip of Florida all the way to the northern, uh, northern reaches of Canada. And, uh, you know, I think we're really excited to be there because the, the interest from folks, you know, throughout that, that band just couldn't be higher and people need, you know, reliable certified varieties in those, in those uh, locations. So we're working no hard to make that happen. No doubt. As our, our chief agronomist, Dr. Dave likes to say, it's not about survive. It's about thrive. Okay. Mm. You can, I can plant a seed in almost any spots, you know, and, and, and I'm broad brushing, but, and it'll come up out of the ground and it may even grow and grow fairly well. Okay, well, that's fine. But is it really thriving in a place where it's going? And those seeds are going to go home quicker. They're going to do better at home than they are away from them. So if you're having a, a uh, uh, you know, a spend the night party and you're at somebody else's house, okay, you're probably not going to sleep as well as you do in your own bed, right? So um, it's it's kind of along some of those saying, well, doesn't mean it won't function, doesn't mean it won't grow, doesn't mean it won't do anything, but is that really the best genetic for that 
zone, that temperate zone, that area zone about part of that. And yes, then you start throwing in things like how much water is there and the humidity in some places and dry in other places, all those factors fit in. And I think it's part of the reason that we have to kind of stop and remind ourselves, look, we've only been really doing this in some places since 2014 and most of the places really since 2019. Okay, I mean, by the time that, yeah, we got some planted in 2018, but let's call it four years, three and a half, four years, we're just still tuning and dialing in the knobs to figure this thing out. And and I think anybody that comes up and tells you, oh, I absolutely, we've all got it all figured out, whatever the it is, my radar screen goes up real quick and goes, ah, I don't know now, come on now, tell me what that means. So um, certainly genetics are a huge part of that. And I think by, by having um, companies like yours and others that are, are, are focused in on what that means to have, you know, certified seed that really knows what we're getting. It seems to me, and I am a late bloomer to the industry, okay, and I wasn't around as, as, as early as, as you and others are, but it just seemed to me like the armpit of the universe in the hemp industry was seed sales. People that just were selling just junk, you know, that they didn't have any idea what it was, or what it was behind it, or where the you know, we don't have to know the secret sauce to every single, you know, germplasm marker genome piece of what's going on, but we got to have some kind of an idea that y'all know what the heck you're talking about. And that's for us at the co-op area. And so that's, that's part of what Dr. Dave does for us is that, you know, he, he looks under the hood, man. And if he can't, he can't figure out that you figure out that you know how it is, then, um, uh, we're we're standoffish. We certainly are not recommending any of it. But but international hemp is not one of those spots. So we're we're glad to know that 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 our growers can appreciate the work that you and Derek and Bill and the other folks at International are are really putting the energy, the time, uh, the resources, the money to to do it right. And and um, I think the industry will will be better off for it. So. Thank you, Nick. Nick, you have the best metaphors and analogies of anybody in the hemp industry. And I, I, I will, uh, I will fight anybody that says otherwise. You know, one one thing that's worth thinking about is when you look at your other, you know, uh, ag commodities, your other crops that are out there. Uh, you know, they never went through eighty years of of prohibition. You know, they in the eighty years that hemp was sidelined you saw some of the greatest innovation in life sciences, crop science, the green revolution. And, you know, it's just, just like you said, we are, we're barely scratching the surface of the kind of innovation in genetics and plant breeding and new varieties and cultivars in, in industrial hemp. I mean, over the next five to 10 years, um, it's gonna be just incredible. And, and I, you know, I always like to say this too, if I had gotten into, you know, corn breeding, I'd have to go very, very deep in corn breeding to find something new because, hey, there's been corn breeding going on for a very long time. One of the beautiful things about this space, and it's what part of what I use to encourage other folks who are part of my generation and a little bit younger, why they should be interested in um, a new environment and a new space like industrial hemp is, you don't have to go very deep to find something new. There's just such an abundance of innovation that is going to happen around this plant in all of the different uh, facets of the supply chain that 
I think for, you know, for people my age, it should provide, you know, hey, this is something that uh, well, there's a lot of fun to be had because there's a lot of new things to go and find. There you go. There you go. Exploration right here at home. Who knew? Who knew? Right. Uh, and uh, who knows what? Who knows what other products and services and things that are on the horizon? Because folks like that, you're encouraging to get involved. They find out, and it's not like they're gonna. Uh, um, we got so many opportunities. So you got it. Hey, look, Eric Singular, so glad to have you on the podcast with us and to share uh, part of your brain and part of your heart and where you see things going. What is the best way for folks to uh, reach out to you, um, to connect with you besides, uh, oh, we didn't plug the International Health website, so let's make sure we do that as well. Sure so. thing, yeah. International-hemp.com. Um, if you reach out through the website, that'll all come to me. If you want to reach out to me directly, it's just Eric at international-hemp.com. Um, you can also reach out through any of our social pages and I, I see all of that. So any way that you, uh, you know, you come in, you'll get to me on the international hemp side of things. Terrific. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks for doing part of that. And if you're interested in learning more about the national hemp growers cooperative and our unique nationwide model that is focused on building wealth for our members through regenerative agriculture and sustainable development, you can always go back to our website at nationalcoop.us and learn all about the good things that we're doing. Eric Singular, thanks so much. And uh, until next time. See you, Nick. Thank you. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.